I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya and I'm joined today by Pranav and we're going to talk space stations and I'm really glad we're finally getting to do this episode of All Things Policy because one, Pranav has really published this discussion document on space stations and India's options and how India can potentially collaborate with other countries on human spaceflight and on space stations specifically. And there's nothing like this document out there. It's unique and, and it's super interesting. Uh, and I definitely would suggest you check it out, even if you're not particularly interested in space flight, because it really provides you a fresh perspective on technology cooperation. The second reason I'm really thrilled is because ever since we broached the subject a few months back, Pranav has been talking nonstop in the office about it. And hopefully we can get all this office chest, this episode, episode today we won't bother the rest of us with his theories about space stations but anyway welcome to all things policy pranav thank you aditya thank you for allowing me to talk about space stations to a broader audience other than the few of us in the office <laughs> yeah but this is thrilling but so you know uh, pranav the first thing that people are going to ask when we talk about space stations is why on earth are there space stations? Why on earth are there people on this big thing called the International Space Station, 400 kilometers above sea level? What on earth are they doing there? I mean, do we really get a bang for our buck by just putting a bunch of people in a few metal tubes in low Earth orbit? That's a very interesting question. And when I started thinking about India's human spaceflight program and space stations, the first thing I started looking at is the history of why presidents and premiers went about building space stations, right? So I started looking at the U.S. decision-making history and the Soviet decision-making history. The Soviet Union was the first country to put up a space station, the Salyut. Interestingly, the Soviet, although they called it Salyut, um, they had two space stations. One was a civilian version and one was a military version. Initially, space station was considered to be the natural next step for human spaceflight. You had Yuri Gagarin who went to space and then what they were able to do is they were able to keep these human beings in a space capsule. They definitely wanted to do something more than having humans in a space capsule. And they want to experiment with what is the long-term effects of microgravity on uh, humans and what can be gained out of this. One of the reasons was it was given a technological spin and a scientific spin. But one of the real reasons was politics. It was a platform. These mega tubes were platforms to show that your country could place these miniature pieces of infrastructure. Well, not exactly miniature, but you know what? It's a miniature in terms of what can be built on Earth. These pieces of infrastructure in space. So the products were primarily political. They were driven by the Cold War politics of competition. But there were also other things, other motivations initially, like understanding what would be the effects on humans. What are the experiments that can be carried out in microgravity that cannot be carried out on Earth? And slowly this began to evolve. The Skylab, for example, which was the American version of the first space station, was born because they wanted to use the components, what was left over from the Apollo program to better use. And they used large sections of the Saturn V rocket to construct the uh, Skylab space station. Then finally, we got the Russian second edition of the space station, the space station Mir. Space station Mir was more interesting because it was the first truly modular space station where they had three modules. 
and the Russians and the Soviets were able to think more about how to use these. As far back as Salyut, the Soviets realized that space stations had diplomatic value which is the reason why allowed foreign astronauts to go on board the space station, including India's own Rakesh Sharma, who was the first astronaut from India to step into not only to space, but also work on the Salyut 7 space station. And finally, the International Space Station was born because the United States wanted to prevent its ally, the European Union and the European Space Agency, from building its own space station. They believed that the purpose would be served much better if the Europeans and the Japanese collaborated. Reagan thought this was one way of reducing the cost on the American space station itself and making sure that America and its allies were a part of the American-led space initiative rather than have separate space initiatives which would be competing with whatever the Americans were doing. And finally, because space station freedom, which was the earlier iteration of the ISS, took so long... The Cold War had ended and a Russian space program was ailing and was very weak. And uh, it became a very political tool by bringing them as a partner on the ISS to ensure that this, the Russian space program had enough money to sustain itself and to make sure that the scientists had something to do instead of all these rocket scientists and space scientists going to a country like North Korea or Iran and uh, providing their services. So... In my paper, I essentially write that space stations are products of politics, which are wrapped in the narrative of scientific and technological benefits. I'm not trying to say that space stations have absolutely no use for science or technology. They do. They definitely provide a lot of things that cannot be done back on Earth. But whether it's really cost-effective to conduct the science by spending millions and even billions of dollars for whatever is retrieved is questionable at best. Yeah, I think Pranav, you're absolutely right on that. I don't think it's lost in anyone that one of the big attractions of space stations for governments is totemic. It's it's because of the political and diplomatic value that it signals. You know, you talked about the ISS, right? I mean, the ISS is so emblematic of that period of the US trying to draw Russia into a cooperative framework, which in which, of course, the US remains the senior partner. And the ISS did function very effectively as a multinational sort of entity, you know, where you could sustain the illusion, perhaps that you were leaving earthly politics behind. But of course, that, that really isn't the case. As you've pointed out, you know, space stations are deeply tied to political imperatives, which brings us to your paper and the present. You know, your paper's looking at potential for collaboration between the quad states, these four states. And these, this is, of course, fairly new entity that is driven by, whose existence is really driven by contemporary politics. Why did you select the quad specifically? So I selected Quad because I look at India's traditional space partner, Russia, and I, given the state of affairs in Russia's space program, I realized that India has not done much with Russia in the past decade. India was supposed to partner with Russia on the Chandrayaan-2, and Russia failed to deliver a rover, which not only set back India's program, but also sort of propelled India to build most of the rover itself while borrowing parts from the US and Japan. And this pointed it to another direction where in the past 10 years, India-US and India-Japan space cooperation has increased tremendously. In India-Japan, cooperation was virtually non-existent in the 1990s and the early 2000s. But right now, you can also see that India and Japan are cooperating on building a lunar rover that will explore the poles of the moon. And the US and India are building a, this very expensive $1.5 billion satellite, which uses synthetic aperture radar to survey the Earth's surface. 
And this allowed me to think about, and Australia is a relatively new space bar. And back in 2020 and 21, India and Australia had a series of MOUs or Memorandum of Understanding that was signed. Even this year on the sidelines of the Bangalore Space Exposition or Bangalore Space Expo, we had the Australian Space Agency's head, Enrico Palermo, who came to India and toured ISRO's centers, including the ISRO's Human Space Flight Center. And as in our previous episode, he was very eager to collaborate with India. And uh, this showed me that India has India's cooperation with the Quad countries has improved tremendously, that there is a potential to increase the level of cooperation from small and medium scale space projects to larger scale space projects like a space station, which is the reason why I chose this sample. This is not to say that Quad is an entity, but Quad because the four countries represent a sample of uh, how they can collaborate and not essentially as a partnership. Okay, uh, well taken. Now, you've talked, you've made the case for studying, you know, the potential for collaboration on space stations specifically between these quad states. Can you tell us, you know, how space cooperation works? Uh, Because, you know, this is obviously not something completely random, you know, besides the political imperative, there has to be some specific reasons why states cooperate and how they cooperate, right? So, for example, with the International Space Station, each state brings something very specific to the table and, and not all states are equal contributors. So you've developed a framework on this. Can you walk us through this and tell us how you see space cooperation work? So the reason why I constructed a, a new framework entirely was because the old the other academic frameworks that exist don't really tell us how cooperation can happen on larger scale projects like a space station. So I wanted to really understand what are the conditions. And I came up with three parameters. The first is space policy priorities. Now, this was not a big consideration during the Cold War because almost all countries had the space priorities set in geocentric orbits around the Earth, right? The U.S. had a moon program, but the moon program was quickly abandoned within a few years because of the cost overruns and unsustainability. So the Americans went back to exploring the Earth orbits. And Japan, the European Space Agency, and Canada, and including Russia, were all countries that wanted to increase the number of assets in space and wanted to do a lot of things. So the first is space policy priorities. In the present context, countries have two kinds of space priorities, that is beyond Earth orbits, where they want to have space programs that are dedicated to going to the moon and Mars and probably beyond, and geocentric orbits, uh, for example, parts like India and Australia, and to some extent Japan, which still want to continue developing their space presence in low Earth orbit and geocentric orbits. The second is what I call technological capabilities. Tech capabilities are self-explanatory. I divide them into three categories. You have countries which have advanced space capabilities like the US, who have already have a lot of experience in uh, developing space stations and heavy lift rocket technology. So I categorize them as advanced. Then I call countries that have sufficient levels of heavy lift capability and uh, to some extent human space flight capability. I call them as competitive capabilities. In this category, you would have China, India, and Japan who fall into competitive capabilities. Now, competitive means that it's not that all countries have equal capabilities, but they are comparable in scale. And then finally, I call the final category as mission support. And mission support basically means that these countries that are space-faring countries for all intended purposes, but they don't have their own launch capability. They mostly provide equipment and components that enhance the capabilities of competitive countries and advanced countries. A clear example of this is Canada. Canada has consistently been providing robotic components. Canada M1 for the space shuttle and Canada M2 for the International Space Station. And now a third version of the Canada for the Lunar Gateway, 
which happens to be a small space station that would orbit around the moon. And I categorize this. And finally, think about the degree of space cooperation that that countries have. By studying the history of space station decision-making and cooperation, I realized that any country that wants to cooperate on a large-scale project like a space station needs to have some form of past cooperation, right? So that these space agencies and scientists understand how each other's organizations work, understand how each of these communities think, and they interact, they learn from each other, and only then can they scale up their cooperation. So in the case of India, Japan, and the US, all three countries have bilateral cooperation, which have moved from a state of low cooperation to a scale of medium cooperation. This allows them, therefore, in the future to scale their cooperation to a higher degree, such as what the US and Japan has done in the past. And using these three parameters, I come up with four categories of cooperation. Countries with similar technological capabilities and similar space priorities can form symmetric partnerships. Although we have not seen strictly symmetric partnerships, you can say that US and Russia are symmetric partners in reality, although on paper, the ISS project is led by the US. But US and Russia are symmetric partners because they bring similar capabilities. And I call asymmetric partnerships where you have, let's say, US and Canada. US and Canada can form asymmetric capabilities because US has more advanced technologies and Canada has less advanced technologies, but still can provide something to enhance a space station. And finally, I say there's no cooperation between countries. If they don't have a past history at all, or their space priorities are completely different, then the two or more countries cannot cooperate. I found that there's another category of cooperation that we can conceptualize, which I call commercial cooperation, where private companies, most of which are currently based in the US, would like to collaborate with other countries on space infrastructure projects. To some degree, we have already seen this. Italy's companies are cooperating with Axiom Space to build two modules of private space station or a commercial space station. This is where you have two commercial entities or a state entity and a commercial entity cooperating. Uh, this is very different. We have not seen this kind of cooperation in the past. And it is empirically possible that we witness such arrangements in the future. Right. Yeah. And I suspect that, you know, part of your framework is definitely also going to apply to these commercial partnerships because, for example, the U.S.'s idea is actually for commercial players to take over the whole space station business, right? And build a so-called self-sustaining low Earth orbit economy. Now, we don't know how successful that's going to be, but I think what's relevant for us to look at immediately is, you know, what are some of these specific opportunities that you might identify using this framework for India with the Quad? So how can India collaborate with Japan, with Australia and with the United States? So let's first clear one thing off the table. Cooperation between all four countries of all four quad countries is not possible because the US has right now, as you mentioned, the US has left a lower orbit to commercial entities. And NASA as the National Space Agency is prioritizing all its efforts to go to the moon through the Artemis program, which we spoke about last week in our podcast. Because the space policy priorities of India and the US are so different, direct cooperation between India and US is not possible. However, I predict that the strongest possible collaborative potential is between India, Japan and Australia. Now, some people might say, why Japan? Japan is also a part of the Artemis program and Japan also wants to go to the moon. That's true. But if you do a more careful reading of their space policy, they mention explicitly that while the ISS partnership will come to an end by 2028 or 2030, they still want to maintain a significant presence in low Earth orbit through a space station, ideally. 
And this is what allows for India and Japan to co- to collaborate on a space station. Australia similarly has expressed its, its interest to be a part of the low Earth orbit economy. And they already have a domestic industry, which is very good in communications and robotics and space radars and tracking, uh, which is how Australia can be a minor partner or an asymmetric partner with India and Japan, who will be symmetric partners. So India, Japan, and Australia could possibly collaborate on building a space station by 2030 or beyond. Okay, uh, that's cool. So then can you just walk us also then through the opportunities for India specifically? You know, how does India go about, you know, if you step back from this, how does India go about the next steps after Gaganyaan, after India starts you know, putting people into space and figures out, okay, we can do this human space flight thing. What are India's options for maintaining a sustained presence of Indian citizens in space? Yeah. So before we sort of spoke about all this, we should have spoken about why space station for India. And that's because the Gaganyan program and Prime Minister Modi announced this in August 2018. It was envisioned as not something where India would just send astronauts. Early on, by 2019 and 2020, the then chairman of ISRO, Dr. K. Shivan, said that a space station project would be a continuity of the human spaceflight program. And he said that India's space station would be built by uh, 2030, and it, would be, and it would weigh around 15 to 20 tons, and it would be able to host about two astronauts for 15 to 20 days. Based on this description, it seems like India's space station will be more like a space laboratory than a full-fledged space station. Now, having this small laboratory is not of much use. You can do a lot of things. You can do experiments. It is very popular politically to have an independent space station, but it does not give you much in terms of diplomacy, technology, or or scientific benefits. You are replicating whatever other countries have already done, right? So one of the things that India should really do is think about what are the real scientific and technological and economic benefits that it can gain by continuing a human space flight program in a different way. That is by collaborating with other countries on the space station. So in the first and foremost, ISRO would have to create a roadmap and think realistically about how it can continue its human space flight program in the most cost-effective manner and the most economical and yet beneficial manner possible. That's one of the first things that ISRO should do to continue its human space flight program. Because if you simply say, we're going to send astronauts and we'll think about what to do with them later, you're going to have a very, very unsustainable program. The second would entail supporting your domestic private industry. One of the many interesting things about countries that have space stations, including Japan. Japan has a small module for the International Space Station called Kibo. And Kibo was built by Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, which is a private industry, and it has a lot of experience in building such modules. And India must support its domestic industry and have its domestic industry, private industry, be a part of the human space flight program so that you're not just importing components from other countries and calling it your own space station, but you're in fact having indigenous capabilities by supporting your local industry. That is one thing. It should be a whole of nation effort where it's not just a ISRO effort or a New Space India effort, but it's an effort by ISRO, New Space India Limited, and other private entities who can offer more innovative solutions. And finally, another way to think about this is India should start collaborating more with its partners. Right now, it's between low and medium capacity, but the more India starts talking to the quad countries about cooperation in space, 
this deeper level of cooperation would someday lead to larger scale projects. And these are the areas where the Department of Space, the Government of India and ISRO should focus on to really sustain its human space flight program. Absolutely, Pranav. You know, the American decision to go with private space stations has really upended the whole, you know, international model for space stations, right? And I think we're likely to see a lot of innovative new models rather painfully appear over the next couple of decades, you know, for sustaining human presence in low Earth orbit. And, you know, all of these options that you've talked about, uh, international cooperation, encouraging the commercial sector, are all definitely going to be part of the answer for India. If India wants to put its nationals in in orbit and wants to keep them there for, for some time and you know circulate them, all of that's going to happen. India just cannot go it alone. It cannot be simply something that the government does. And I think it's really great that you've come up with such a detailed research document that actually looks at India's options, looks at the state of you know, the prospects for space stations in the near future and some of the options that India has. And I hope this generates discussion, which it is intended to. We'll have a link to the discussion document in the show notes and let us know what you think. And, uh, you know, Pranav, we will carry this forward. We will continue to talk about human presence in space and uh, space exploration and strategic issues around space more generally. So thank you once again for this enlightening discussion. Yeah, thank you, Aditya. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about space stations, a topic that's been very close to my heart for the past three months. Absolutely, evidently. (laughs) Okay, and thank you all for joining us in All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.